Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinsing, episode 465. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. Read our stories at slowflowersjournal.com. Our first sponsor thanks goes to Mayesh Wholesale Florist. Family-owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S., and we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com. Way back in February B.C., and by that I mean February before COVID, a Phoenix Home and Garden magazine editor named Carly Scholl reached out to request an interview. She sent me an email writing, I'm working on a story for our upcoming April issue about local flower farms, and my research consequently led me to you and your Slow Flowers movement. Your information and research has certainly informed my article so far, but I would love to do a short interview with you about the Slow Flowers concept to further educate our readers. Well, Carly and I had a wonderful conversation, and her interest in locally grown flowers was very encouraging. In April, she published a four-page feature about three fabulous flower farmers in Arizona, including today's guest, Asha Lurie of Patagonia Flower Farm. It's a great article titled, How the Slow Flowers Movement is Making Arizona Bloom, with the subhead, Three Local Flower Farms Are Cultivating Communities Around Eco-Conscious Blooms. I'll share a link to the story in today's show notes. You'll be inspired by its focus on the importance of local and sustainable flowers and by the stories of all three farmers profiled, including Ann Jensen of Ann E's Garden Fresh in Phoenix, also a Slow Flowers member, and Shanti Raid of Whipstone Farm in Paulden, a past guest of this podcast. The article did another important thing as it revealed the state's geographic diversity when it comes to growing flowers. As Asha and I discuss, Arizona's flower farmers have much in common, but the state's growing zones vary widely. Patagonia is located in USDA Zone 8A with average minimum temperatures of 10 to 15 degrees. You'll hear Asha discuss what this means for her long growing season, despite low precipitation and high daytime temperatures during some times of the year. Here's a bit more about Asha, adapted from the Patagonia Flower Farm website. Asha says flowers are one of the greatest passions in her life. After years of feeling frustrated about having to drive miles out of town for overpriced bouquets filled with imported flowers that died quickly, 
she decided to start her own micro-farm, Patagonia Flower Farm, in 2017. Now her neighbors enjoy the beauty of fresh flowers that last days while keeping their carbon footprint small. Gardening has been a personal joy of Asha's for more than 20 years. She has taught several classes about sprouts, microgreens, and propagation, and today serves with Borderlands Restoration Network to further its native species and public education programs. Asha shares her horticultural knowledge and gardening expertise to help customers enjoy the natural beauty and elegance that fresh local flowers offer. She considers her flowers a local, affordable, and well-deserved luxury. Each flower in Asha's hand-picked bouquets are lovingly grown to ensure health, vibrancy, and longevity of each ingredient. Patagonia Flower Farm's organic and sustainable practices keep the earth and bees happy and healthy, she says. Please check out the show notes for today's episode 465 at deborahprinzing.com to see photos of Asha, Patagonia Flower Farm, and the incredible array of flowers she grows in Patagonia, Arizona. We'll also share her social places so you can find and follow along as this emerging floral enterprise flourishes. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm so thrilled today to introduce a special guest, Asha Lurie of Patagonia Flower Farm. Hi, Asha. Hello. It's great to uh, hear you and see you because we're doing this over Zoom. Yes, this is wonderful. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, me too. We've been wanting to do this for a while, so um, timing is, I don't know, I was, you're in, in based in Tucson, well, Patagonia is near Tucson, right? Yes, we are about 60 miles outside of Tucson and about 25 miles away from the Mexican border. Wow. Okay. I was thinking about you all week thinking, how is she farming when it's over a 100 degrees? So give us sort of a snapshot <laughs> of your farm and like, how do you cope with those conditions? Well, let me tell you, first of all, we're in what's called the high desert. We're about 4,000 feet above sea level. So we're in the mountains. Oh, Okay. So we are probably always consistently 10 degrees cooler than Tucson and almost 15 degrees cooler than Phoenix. So it's like so, a, yeah. little, a little secret about where you are it is because exactly. of the elevation. Exactly. Now, it's hot outside. It's a little hot. But, you know, it works. And it's funny because one of the benefits about living here, it does snow. We get snow in the winter, but it's usually gone by noon. Our ground never freezes. So the soil is always workable. Wow. And we very rarely have like a hard frost. So if you think of like, I know I grew up in Boston, it would start to get colder and colder, 9 p.m., 10 p.m. And that's when the coldest would happen. But here, the coldest time it seems like is early in the morning, three, four, five, and then the sun rises and warms things up. And usually, so it's just a quick frost. So that can damage some plants, but for the most part, we have no problem. So I don't know. I don't, I, I just, I guess I have the desire to grow flowers. I'm going to make it happen. But the variance is, is what's crazy is that it can be like 95 degrees during the day and then in the thirties at night. That's crazy. I mean, I was thinking when you talked about snowing in the morning, at least you're getting precipitation where other parts of Arizona are not getting precipitation. So exactly. even though it's snow, it becomes the moisture that the roots need. 
That's right. And it's wonderful when the snow slowly melts and, and gets into the soil. You really can't beat that. That's the best. Wow. So give us a snapshot of Patagonia Flower Farm. And of course, I think of Patagonia as the clothing, but it's actually mm-hmm. the name of a town and I believe a mountain somewhere, right? Yes. And it's actually pronounced Patagonia. Patagonia. Okay. <laughs> yes. Not like the brand. Patagonia. No, no. So it's very hilly. We've got a lot of grasslands here. Um, yeah. So it's really, really beautiful. A lot of people think of Arizona and they think of, oh, it's everything's going to be dry. We've got a, quite a bit of green going on. Um, yeah, it's really a beautiful town. The Patagonia itself only has about a thousand people that that live here. Um, wow. It's an old mining town, and it's quite sweet. A lot of retire, you can imagine, a lot of artists, a lot of retirees, a lot of women. <laughs> so it's an interesting, sweet town. Wow, that's I, I want to visit. That sounds really wonderful. You and would I guess, love it here. Yeah, and is there much agriculture there? Like, are you a lone ranger to use the Western well, term? There are a lot of, of course, now a lot of people are gardening. You know, it's funny because there is a a nonprofit organization here in town that I work very, very closely with called Borderlands Restoration. So they have a big greenhouse here where they sell native plants and we harvest seeds and germinate the seeds and create more plants to restore the over, you know, overworked, we'll say, (laughs) areas of of, of Southern Arizona. So, so yeah. So- So there were a few, let me think. And I, you know, there were, so before I moved here, like years before there was a, um, a dahlia grower here, believe it or not. And I know that they must've had a lot of shade because we do need shade for the dahlias, but, um, but yeah, so little bits here and there, but I think Borderlands nursery is the biggest like grower right now. And it is mostly native plants. Wow. That's so interesting. So uh, your, what's the size and scale of, of your farm and, and like, give us a snapshot of, of what all the pieces to the puzzle there. Okay. So I am what is called a micro farm. I'm on about 4,000 square feet and I'm growing things very tightly together. Um, and I, you know, I took, I'm a Florette uh, alumni. I took her class in 2017. So I follow a lot of her um, protocols. And um, the only difference is I do a no-till. I keep the landscape fabric down. And um, yeah, so so that's it. I do the landscape fabric. I've got hoop, those short tunnels. I don't have a greenhouse yet, but one day. And um yeah, so, and I have an area where I'm doing mostly perennials, and then I have my annuals. And at Borderlands has been so gracious of allowing me to use a quite about 1,500 square feet where I've been growing sunflowers. In, in the ground or undercover? No, in the ground, oh, okay. under landscape fabric on their property okay. where they're growing. Yeah, wow. yeah. But it, I love it that, like, you've been entrepreneurial enough to figure out how to access land that wasn't being utilized, but you knew would be perfect for sunflowers. I mean, that's exactly. so neat. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I noticed that you were doing some new things, but, but in general, when you started, like who were your customers and how were you moving all those flowers that you were growing? Well, you know, um, a good friend of mine runs the health food, ta- the health food store in town. And I, 
was going through, you know, uh, how should I say it? I was feeling kind of depressed and kind of bummed out. And, and I knew that I needed to express myself artistically and I hadn't been doing that. And I figured, why don't I grow flowers? You know, I my husband comes from a long line of farmers. I've always grown my vegetables, but I've never grown just flowers. And I grew flowers one year and I asked her, if I grow enough flowers next year, do you think I could sell them at your store? And she's like, absolutely, that would be great. So that's kind of how I got started. I was selling them at the store and people got to recognize my flowers. I knew that there were a lot of women in this town and there were no cut flowers to buy. And, you know, when you live in the city, you can, you know, go to a farmer or go to Trader Joe's and at least get some flowers. And there was none. So I knew that there was a desire for flowers. And I was correct. And mm. shortly after having them at the store, I started my subscription program. And it has been consistently successful. One of the great things that I'm so happy with is last year was the first year that I was able to do the full year of flowers. So in the springtime to the end of, to the first frost, I have a subscription that you'll get flowers once a week. And then in the winter time, I have an, an arrangement once a month. Wow. So that's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And all from your 4,000 square feet. Well, <laughs> for Christmas time, for Christmas time, um, I do an arra- I do a foliage arrangement mm. with a bow, you know, a festive, nicely smelling Christmassy yeah. type of arrangement. And I wild harvest a lot of the, that foliage. Um, and I, I, so there's a few, you know, things like October and then November that I kind of wing it with succulents and a pup- pumpkin type of thing or a terrarium. So, so I kind of do things like that. And then the one thing that happened last year that I discovered is that I can uh, actually grow tulips and a lot of other like daffodils, a lot of things hydroponically in my cooler under heat mats and lights and like totally trick those bulbs into thinking it's springtime. Wow. And so that, and I would make these little arrangements with them. So that was like, um, was December and January. And then by the time February came was the first year that I, for Valentine's day, I had tons of tulips. It was wow. like, Yay. So <laughs> when you say hydroponically, is that, I, cause I know there's a couple methods. Is that like the crate method with some kind of growing medium or is it literally in water? That's a good question. You know, I have these trays, these huge trays. It's about the same size as a, t- a a, um, a bulb crate, right. but shorter. And it is a tray that has these little pricks in it, like these little, look like little pencils. And you take the bulb and you stick them, you prick the, the bulbs and you can fit probably about 40 in these trays and you fill it up with water. I put a little bit of that um, charcoal that you would get at the, at the pet supply store for fish tanks in there just to keep the water fresh. And they grow in there as happy as can be. Wow. What's so awesome is, is if you've grown tulips, you know, they're kind of dirty. Like the dirt gets wrapped up in there. You've got a totally clean tulip that you could actually take the bulb with the roots and put them in a vase. And, and people they, grew, people go crazy over that because they absolutely. see the bulb, right? Yes. Yes. That is such an interesting method. I've never I mean, we had Tom Precht on a couple, what, last fall from Grateful Gardeners in Baltimore area, and he's experimenting with uh, aquaponics, which is with the fish in the tank and all of that. So I know that. Hydroponics, I know it's used a lot in vegetable production, but I didn't, this, this 
little stake that you put the bulb on. How did you find that method? I've never heard of that. You know, I think it's called Leo Burpee. Leo B's, they were a, a wholesaler that I bought my bulbs from, pre-chilled, my amaryllis, all of those things. And they sold these trays. Oh. Now, so I started doing search. And if you go onto YouTube, there is a, a tulip, I can't remember the name of the company, but they do this on massive scale. Um, they, they have this whole scene where they take these trays and they dump the water out and they refill them. So if you YouTube um, hydroponic tulips, you'll okay. see it. We'll I look for that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Maybe you'll need to do your own YouTube channel and show I people think I, You it. know, I plan to because I think the fact that, you know, my husband is very, very crafty. I'm so grateful for him. He can literally, I can I can have an idea and he can make that happen. <laughs> and so we don't have a whole lot of space here. So I wanted a refrigerator that, not a walk-in one, kind of one that I open up from the front. Mm. And so he made it for me and he used a cool bot and it's awesome. But last year, you know, I don't have a greenhouse and I got to, I can't have those months without providing flowers. It's really yeah. tough. You know, we do it. It's really tough. And I was like, Hey, can we put heat mats in there and add lights? And he did. Oh, I and see. Because you're not, you're kind of having a, the winter uh, set up and then the summer set up. Right. It's almost, yes, but it's exactly. But what happens is, is you get that, that cool air and then the warm mat oh, creates right. this spring, literally this spring environment that the, and then you've got the lights in there. It's wonderful. You have to, you can check, you can, if you scroll down uh, to last year, you can see the pictures that I took <laughs> okay. uh, on my Instagram channel. Well, we're going to put some we're going to put a show notes together for this episode and I'm going to ask you for photos. So maybe we'll add that. Okay. All right. And I think you're giving people, people listening are going to get ideas for how to apply that to um, their region, which might be completely different than yours, but it's sort of an off season technique that could apply to, you know, colder climates as well, probably. Exactly. And I think pre for me, the pre chilling of the bulbs is extremely important. Yeah. Yeah. The pre chilling, like, I would not be able to do it because it's just too warm here. So that pre chilling, getting them pre chilled, and then keeping them chilled, and then the heat mats is the secret. Okay, and then the cost of pre chilled bulbs. I know people complain about it, but because you're in a zone where people are probably so hungry for tulips, they'll pay any price, right? Exactly, and I don't really have a choice. To me, it's I if I couldn't do it without it. I don't have a refrigerator big enough to be able to, and it's not like I can put them in my garage and my garage is going to cool down. Right, <laughs> right, right. Cool down. But I guess I also mean like your market, you, you knew, it sounds like you have just enough sense of who's the demographic of this flower customer, you know, a woman with some disposable income probably exactly. that they just, whatever you grow, they'll buy. They'll buy. Yep. They're just so happy to have something locally grown and supporting locally grown businesses. And to know that somebody up the street in the desert grew these, I think is really, really special. Yeah. Is there um, any kind of competition between the, the natural grocery store um, and you? Like, do they, are they supportive of you having a CSA or do they see that as competition? They're so far away, they don't even know. Oh, oh, they're just so, in a different market. In our town, literally 900 people, and to the next, to the next supermarket's about 25 miles. Okay. So, so there's no supermarket here in town. Wow. 
So, so if you don't go 30 miles to the next supermarket to get their crazy technicolor flowers. Right, right. <laughs> you know, there are no flowers. So they don't know that I exist in the, there's some flower designers there and we're friends on Instagram, but you know, I, I think what I'm producing is a different type of what, than what they have. Oh, I bet. I bet. Wow. Um, So you're, let's back up a little bit and talk about your path because you, you when you, when people say that they're an alum of a florette uh, course, I, there are several things that I uh, piece together, like you described, like this intense, compact, you know, small space growing. But a lot of the other things have to do with how you put your face on your flowers and how you tell your story and how you market yourself. So I'm sure you're doing that all the time too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge thing. I mean, I, I am, I'm really camera shy and because of Flora is the reason why I put my face. That was great advice is to be the face of your flowers. Um, So yeah, a lot of social media, I really, you know, I'm a real introvert. A lot of us are (laughs) a lot of, from what I hear, a lot of farmers are introverts. I'm a very introvert. So I really, I was not on Facebook. I was not on Instagram, but man, both of those tunnels have really helped build my business. I mean, huge. So, so you said you were living in Pat- Patagonia. I don't want to say it wrong. Is that right? Yeah, yeah Patagonia. <laughs> Patagonia. Um, lifelong gardener, you know, knew how to grow food. And then when, what flipped the switch for you and when was that? So it was probably um, about five years ago. I was working for a retreat center here in town. I was running their sprout house and my husband was running their organic garden. So in the sprout house, we basically grew microgreens, wheatgrass, and um, and sprouts. And I would teach the guests how to grow them and how to mimic what we were doing there at the center at home. And I was there for a couple of years and completely got burnt out, completely depleted, got depressed. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm not going to work here anymore. I stopped working there. And we, where we were living, we had like a blank canvas. And I told my husband, I was like, Hey, how about we clear that? How about I clear that field and start growing flowers? And that's literally how it was literally on a whim. I didn't think, I didn't know of a a florette at that time. And I was just enjoying it. And then people were so excited because so many people say, how do you grow flowers here? I can't grow flowers here. And I'm like, I don't know how well, how hard did you try? I find it very easy Mm -hmm. to grow flowers in this Mm -hmm. environment. But you had a confidence as uh, someone who was sort of in horticulture already growing something, right? I guess maybe. I don't know. I had, well, you know, when you have a will, I guess it was the will just, and that's not true because some people have the will and they have no germination. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, well, blame, the, blame the seeds on that. Exactly. And, and I, and I have to say, I struggle with dahlias. Dahlias have been the toughest thing for me because, you know, Florette says plant the dahlia and don't water them. I'm in the desert. So what ends up happening is I end up having this dried up, like, you potato. Know, yeah, exactly. So yeah. I, we all have our struggles, but, but yeah. So that's kind of how it was just on a whim. It wow. really was. Wow. That's really interesting. Had you thought about, okay, so this was very much self-nurturing. It wasn't like I'm going to start a business or anything. It was like, I have too many of them. I need to share them. That's, and then I was like, oh, I should sell them. It literally was a progression like that. But it was totally a selfish act. I wanted to walk out my door and have a field of flowers. 
which I do. Well, <laughs> I'm just so curious, what brought you to Arizona from Boston? Like, were you, like, you, you grew up with snow, right? <laughs> you grew up with winter. So what brought me here was eight months of winter. Okay, <laughs> Eight months said. of winter. I remember growing up in the 70s, and I remember my mom talking to her friends, talking about this place called Arizona, that the weather was beautiful. It was a sprawling city. And I that kind of stuck with me. And at that time, my now ex-husband's father lived in Prescott, and we came to visit. But that 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 the conversation, like, I want to live in Arizona, hmm. was always there. And we got off the plane and completely fell in love. And this was with, with um, in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And we got back on the plane, heading back to New Jersey, and literally wrote down everything we needed to do to get across country. And three months later, we were here. Wow. Wow. And I, no regrets. I absolutely, we are no longer together. Yeah. He, his, his lifestyle, my lifestyle, we're not the same. I wanted to be a farmer. I knew that I, not that I wanted to be a farmer, but I wanted to to grow my own food. I wanted to live in a very rural area. You know what I mean? Right. I was more of a country girl than he was. So, yeah. Yeah. And your, um, your connection with the land was all about the place was Arizona and you knew you could do something with that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because, you know, it's funny because growing up in Boston, I remember my mom giving me seeds as a little girl. I remember she gave me radishes, carrots and tomatoes. And she just gave me the seeds. And we had we live I, the community that we lived in. We had little plots, little garden plots. And so she showed me the garden plot and she literally gave, I guess, the easiest seeds. And I planted them. And to, I remember being that was it maybe six or seven and being like, Oh my God, I just grew this and I can eat it. I mean, it was amazing to me. So ever since that, you know, that was, you know, I can't say, Oh, my grandmother was, had so many flowers, right. but the idea of germinating and growing something is to me magical. So, yeah. And then that, you know, decades later, you're, you have the opportunity to, to define how you're going to grow things. And exactly. wow, exactly. that's so cool. So, um, you're now, uh, I saw on social media, you're now expanding your CSA services. So can you talk a little bit about, um, well, first of all, what the CSA has been and, and now what the new version of it is? Okay. So it's been pretty local. It's been pretty much in Patagonia and the next town over, which is Sonoida. Um, I've been, I have a pickup place there and because our town is so small, so small, I can deliver flowers to the door. And I think that to me is like the, like, I would love that to in the evening or in the morning to open the door and have flowers right there for you. So I have that type of sweet little service that I'm providing to people here in town. So I am ready to expand that into Tucson. I'm not sure how it's going to look yet, if I'm going to have a pickup spot or if I will be delivering, but I have a a waiting list right now of people that are eagerly (laughs) awaiting these flower deliveries. Okay. So you've been posting about this, right? I've been posting about it. That's what I saw. Okay. So I thought you were announcing that it had already started, but you're just kind of gathering out like who wants these flowers and how, then the next step is figuring out how, when you're going to deliver and well, you know what it is, you know what it is, is that I, what, two weeks ago just bought my van. That's so, right. Okay. So for the last few years, I've been delivering flowers in my little red VW convertible. Okay. 
Okay. I bet it looks cute. <laughs> it looks really cute, but you know, the time of day is very important. And so in my business plan, the whole, the big thing was this year was the van. Now we would have had this van earlier in the season if it wasn't for COVID. So, so yes, I have the van and already I've just, today I dropped off flowers to a, a, gourmet, a gourmet market in Tubac. They're going to be supplying my flowers. I'm in negotiations with um, a health food store in Tucson called uh, Conspiracy Theory. It's a food co-op. How fun. So I'm going to have flowers there. And so I are, I'm working with um, the Rooted Farmer that I heard on your podcast um, for a flower designer. So I've got some flower designers in Tucson that have placed an order already. So yeah, so that's the expansive. And then, um, and then the subscription along with that. So how are you price like I oh, I don't want to put you on the spot. Your price you have a certain price for like out in the country where you live but will you have to change your prices to accommodate for the cost of delivery and yes. maybe what the market will bear in a city? Absolutely. So okay. it's going to be a little bit different. But but not so bad. I yeah, I think it's, and it is, it's all about the travel there. There will be an extra charge for for delivery. Yeah. yeah. But I can see where if you had a hub where people could kind of you're not going door to door maybe in Tucson. No. I'm going to have to have a spot where they pick up. So I have some ideas that I'll be taking. I'm going there on Monday. So I have to visit a few places. Yeah. So um, where do you fall in the spectrum of farmer, florist, farmer, florist, Sasha? Do you feel, I mean, you're obviously doing design, right? Because you're, you're not just doing single variety bunches for the CSA, right? That was a very good question. And I think as a flower farmer and a, uh, an alumni of Florette, I was very confused with that. Like I felt really secure in the growing of the flowers. I can grow flowers, but I haven't had the opportunity, the chance to take a flower design class. So I struggled with that, but I realized that it is more, um, I think as, as my business grows, I need to consider myself a florist. And most of my customers for a subscription, it's not some fancy flower design. You know, because the flowers are so beautiful, they just want fresh flowers. They just want fresh color. Being in Arizona, it's funny. I'm not sure if it's like this in Tucson, but I know that it's here. If people don't have bright colors, they feel like they're not getting their money's worth. (laughs) (laughs) The blushes are going to wow them. (laughs) No, and I love that. And I know the flower designers in Tucson do as well, but because it is a mono kind of color green here, we don't have a lot of color. You have to really go look for the wildflowers. Um, So people want that color. And I just think that pop of color. So flower design, yes, I can make beautiful designs, but the subscription is just really a posy, you know, a vase of flowers. Yeah. Um, I, I was, I do stalk you. So I saw that you have been posting about your Lysianthus. Is that Uh must be a flower that no one has ever had locally in Arizona? No. And it's so, it's, my whole thing is this flower is amazing. It's so durable and it is a wonderful flower. I remember last year, you know how with Lizzie Ants that first bloom we take off and let the other spray. Well, I remember taking them off and putting them in my hair <laughs> and kind of wearing them in my hair. It was like 95 degrees outside. <laughs> Cause you couldn't and bear you- to throw them away. <laughs> no, but what was funny was 
at the end of the day, they still looked good. And I remember taking them out and putting them on the table outside and coming in the next morning, they still looked good. I knew then this is the flower I need to specialize in because this flower can take wedding work. This flower can take the heat. They can take the transporting. So in the, you just, it's so beautiful. It wow. really is. Wow. And, but, but it's not a very, it, I mean, I've always found as a coming out of horticulture, like the home gardener is not growing lisianthus. So I didn't really know what it was till I started interviewing flower farmers uh, myself. I didn't know what it was. I've never heard of it. Yes. Yeah. And it, what is it? The Texas bluebell? That's right. It is right. sort of native to at least the, the Southwest. The Southwest. Yes. And yeah. so I wonder, I should do some research and I should ask Borderlands Restoration if there is a Lysianthus. Looking in their list of native plants, I don't remember seeing it, but I wonder, I wonder. Yeah. Or if there is, it's like so remarkably different than these fat yeah, old hybrids. It's so little, single petals. <laughs> I don't think you should feel too bad about not cracking the Dahlia code yet because, the, you know, the there's something to be said for cracking the Lysianthus code, especially where oh, you are. You can you. probably get, a, you know, every dollar you ask to, to yeah. sell those. Wow. I really think so. I think so. And the fact that they, you know, last so long, you right. know, one person told, one of my clients told me that the, it lasted three weeks. That's insane. Yeah. And a Dahlia is not going to do that. No, it's no. not. <laughs> no shade no. on Dahlias, but it's a different <laughs> animal altogether. That's true. You're right. Um, well, I wish you luck with the CSA and congratulations on the van. Is it, is it, do you have a cooling system in it or is it more, is it just more well, for transport? Well, my husband, again, I said he's crafty. He is, has designed and it hasn't, I can't wait. It's probably not going to be uh, refrigerated till the winter time, okay. probably off season when he's going to install that. Um, but he has, has designed a, uh, solar powered refrigeration system to go inside. No way. Okay. Yeah. So I'm really excited. about That could that. become your side hustle. You guys could start a separate business. I know. I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. What's his name? His name is Sebastian. Okay. So Sebastian's a big part of this business too. Yes. Yes. He's, he's, He's the dream maker. He makes all, you know, I need a shade structure. I need support systems. I need this. I need that. He, he can make it happen. No, you have the dream and he executes. <laughs> he executes my dream. You're absolutely right. All right. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> well, uh, you were telling me when we chatted a couple months ago that you, that there's this really exciting uh, collect, collective or group of um, kindred spirits in, in Arizona that you're involved in. And, um, I know you said it's called the Arizona Flower Growers. What is that? How did that get started? And what kind of role is it playing in your life? Well, it's called the Arizona Cut Flower Growers. Oh, Cut Flower. And okay. I just, I realized with social media, you know, you you friend other flower growers. And I was realizing, I'm like, there's like, I have 10 or 12 flower grows. And of course, Shanti from the Association of Specially Cut Flowers, she's one of my mentors. Um, but there were a lot of others in between us. Right. And, and you guys are, by the way, probably as far away from one another in the state of Arizona as possible, right? As possible. She's at one end, I'm at the other end. So one day we will meet in the middle and meet. But it, it, by for now, it's just through this association, to bo both associations. So on Instagram, I started friending them and, and inviting them to a private group and saying, hey, and to be honest, in the back of my mind two years ago, I was like, I would love to start a flower collective. It was my idea because you know what? We're stronger in numbers. Yep. 
And if it was, if we decided that we wanted to sell to, you know, flower designers or florists as a group to show, to build trust with them, I think would be great. And so that was always in the back of my mind. And, and then I thought, you know, I could do started on social media and we now meet like once a week or twice a week. We do Zoom calls. We have a topic that we cover and we're learning so much from each other. I mean, like pearls of wisdom. We're like, oh my God, because we're all, even though Arizona is quite a diverse you know, climate, we so different in different places where it can be nine, it could be eight, it could be seven, depending upon where you're at. But we all, we have so much to teach one another. So it's been really, really great. Well, it's also a low, I mean, where many farmers are, at least, this is a gross generalization. I was going to say a lower population state, but it's not like Montana or something, but, or Wyoming, but it's easy to be isolated. And I guess that's what you were describing being so far away from Whipstone Farm. Isolated in the sense of no other farmers. So you have other people. I mean, there are quite a few growers in Phoenix, which, you know, that's a huge population, but somebody that speaks to your language, you know what I mean? Has the same passion as you, you know what I mean? You know, it's so funny growing, you know, uh, Lizianthus from seed is a very hard thing to do. (laughs) You know, Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Is that what you're doing? Yes. Hello. Are you, you doing say? that? Are you doing no. that? Oh, okay. You maybe once, but then then you got, became a con- convert to plugs, right? Yes, yes. To Bailey, thank goodness for Farmer Bailey, right? Yeah. But there, you know, there's a girl in the group who did it that grew all of hers from seed, and she's like, "Let's all do it together." You know what I mean? This is what I did. This is where I bought the seed, and she made it sound super simple. But she, but for our environment, she, and so you know, that opens up a whole nother window. And one of the, yeah, so I don't know. It's just been very, and then there's one girl who sells, she's a woman who uh, grows only roses and she's in Phoenix. Oh, Anne. Yeah, and she was She's a Slow Flowers member. Yes, yes, yes. We were in that interview together. Yes. Yes, and so she was giving us pointers on how to get the roses to last longer in the vase. And I don't know why this didn't click, but she was like, don't dethorn it because it's got a heel that's taking its energy. Now I have to be careful. I think most have to be careful because you have to really have a, a savvy customer that you're selling them to. That's not going to prick their finger. Right. Right. But she said that adds on to the vase life. So we've just been like really sharing with each other. And that's and, so cool. Um, yeah. If you did the collective, would it be more in the, southern region like tucson or have you thought that far ahead like a like a physical kind of hub i don't know i don't know we would have to meet no i I think that if the tucson people met in phoenix and then everybody from even up high like where shanti lives Mm -hmm. a lot of people up there kind of met in the middle it would be around there yeah yeah so you have some infrastructure stuff to figure out Exactly. And, it, and right now, because of COVID, having to be able to Skype with one another or to Zoom with one another is really great because under normal circumstances, we probably wouldn't be able to meet physically once a week. Right. Because you think of travel and harvest and all of that, but we can get on the phone and, and, and chat with one another. And so right now it just works for us right now. The oh, way that's so neat. Um, it, is that a private uh, Instagram group that you uh, patched me into? Because I, I kind of, 
I kind of lurk. I see what people are posting. I don't ever really post. <laughs> yes, it's private. Okay. So you have to be invited. Oh. You are invited. <laughs> I'll try to live, I'll live up, I'll be well-behaved. Uh, but it's not like there's a, a, an uh, Arizona cut flower growers in public no. Instagram page, but maybe no, you'll get, maybe you'll do that in the future. Yeah, Maybe we'll even do a Facebook page. I think a Facebook page would be great because we can do Facebook live and do things like that. But right now for this moment, at least until the season slows down, this is what's working for us. But I think having a Facebook page eventually will be really great. I, I love what you're saying about community and, and kind of, you know, that whole idea of community over co- competition is certainly, you know, a value that it sounds like is everybody shares in this group. And in general, flower farmers are like that. Yeah. Uh, crossing over and working with florists is, I think, a huge opportunity because these florists need to, I guess, be alerted to the fact that they there are local flowers in, in these dry desert markets. And... Um, well, they're, you know, they're it's funny you. because in, in Phoenix, there was a huge flower growers. Do you know of that? Have you heard about that? Years and years ago, huge, huge um, area in Phoenix was all flowers. Yeah. And then is it, was, was it NAFTA that yeah. kind of mm-hmm. stopped that from happening? Um, but I have to tell you with the COVID shutdown, I was getting calls like almost every week from florists and flower designers. Wow. So they're finding you on Instagram or searching like Arizona flower farmer or some kind of hashtag like that. Exactly. And it was right around April where that article was in the Arizona um, home and garden. Oh, right. When it all happened. Right. So yeah, so that timing. And so, so that's, so that's been really, really great. Oh, I need to grab that article and share that uh, with, with the readers. I, that was really, that was a pretty showed kind of different types of growers and different areas and different um, crops too. Exactly. Exactly. And so I just think with that now they're like, we've been getting these flowers from South America, but there are people here that are selling them. So so that's why that's why it's great to have a collective. So you can say, you know what, I'm in Patagonia, but so and so is in Phoenix, or so and so is in Flagstaff. You should reach out to them. And so we're really supporting, and and lifting each other up. So, yeah. And there's so, yeah. so much education to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, uh, Ann Jensen from Annie's um, grow the grower that we talked about, who's the rose grower. She's the one who educated me about the fact that. Um, Southern Fe- Southern Phoenix area used to have all these uh, Japanese American growers who That's what I was talking yeah, about. Yeah. yeah. And that 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 whole area now has just been overdeveloped and the farms for whatever reason it could be because the next generation didn't want to farm I'm not sure but it, it there are those old timers who remember that there were flowers in in the state of Arizona and so maybe they're the ones who really under- appreciate what you're doing. Yeah. And there was a lot of farming here. I think right before I've been here for about seven years and I remember searching online for, you know, farms that I could go and buy, buy, you know, produce from. And it looked online at the time that there were a lot, but by the time I got here, there were none. Yeah. Like it had been like three or four, I was three or four or five years late. So there has definitely been agriculture here. I mean, they grow a lot of cotton here. Yeah. It was surprising. So there, there are some monocrops that they're doing. But I think with the numbers of, of flower growers right now is pretty, pretty amazing. Awesome. That is so cool. Makes me want to, well, I told you I used to come to Arizona a lot when my parents had their 
they're uh, double wide in Mesa. <laughs> but, uh, but I'll have to, at post-COVID, I've got big plans, as do all yes. of us, right? <laughs> Yes, I think we all do. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm encouraged by what you said though, that like in some way there, the demand for your flowers and the interest in what you're doing has spiked with the feeling of, you know, I don't know, that people feel like they're, they're detached from their normal flower supply. But the good news is they're learning that they don't need that normal flower supply. This has been so much fun. Um, I really am so glad that Asha, that we could connect. And um, before we go, I, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share with everybody? No, I, I think that's really it. But if you're a flower designer or if you're desiring to have freshly grown, organically grown cut flowers, I'm, I have a couple of spots open for my subscription in the next, you know, with the end of summer, I'll have flowers until mid November. I'll wow. have cut flowers. So we've wow. got a nice long season. So yeah. So I think I'm really excited about that. Good. Well, we'll make sure people know how to find and follow you. And the fact that you, you still keep the product flowing through plants and succulents and forage stuff. And, and I love that through the winter because you don't want to lose that customer and have them go to the, you know, brand X grocery store and, and buy some imported stuff. So you figured exactly. out how to, how to keep them hooked. Yeah, yeah. Very fun. Thank you so much. I'm so glad we connected today. I'm so glad that we'll have some photos of you and your flowers um, in our show notes at deborahprinzing.com and also Asha's social places so you can find and follow her. And there's this is just like chapter one. There's going to be many chapters to follow. So we'll... Yeah, we'll... I'm excited. I'm excited. Awesome. I'm excited. I really wanted to have farm visits this year and tours and things like that. But next year, hopefully. <laughs> well, like you said, you've started the mailing list. So now there's this, like, you've got these sort of these followers who, who will, yeah. if you put an event on, they'll they'll make the drive out to Patagonia. That's right. That's wonderful. Right. Oh, thank you so much. This has been great. This has been wonderful. So exciting. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for everything you're doing. Oh, it's, it's, uh, we have that privilege, don't we? Yes. <laughs> Thanks so much. I will talk no, to you really soon. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you. Take care, Asha. Have a good Bye-bye. rest of the weekend. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining my conversation with Asha Lurie. I'm encouraged by her focus on community and collaboration, a model we've seen happen with success across the Slow Flowers movement, and definitely among the new Arizona Cut Flower Growers Group. Watch for details about the future of this collective. And if you're in the Tucson area, reach out to Asha to join her CSA customer list. This was a great episode. I learned so much about the personal drive to grow flowers in challenging conditions. Best of luck with those dahlias, Asha. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry with the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnysseeds.com. Now more than ever, your Slow Flowers membership gives you an important story to share with your community and your customers. Our monthly Slow Flowers meetups continue this Friday, August 14th at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, and you're invited to join us virtually via Zoom. 
The COVID-19 pandemic drove us to begin this ritual in late March, and I've heard from so many of you who have valued the opportunity to connect with kindred spirits across the continent. After hosting weekly meetups for about 10 weeks, we shifted to monthly sessions to accommodate the increasingly busier and complicated schedules of our members. Since June, we've met on the second Friday morning of each month, and this month it will be Friday, August 14th. By the way, if you missed last month's meetup, you can find the video link from our July 10th Slow Flowers member virtual meetup and watch the replay with featured guests, wedding designer and stylist Joy Proctor, founder and creative director of Joy Proctor Design, and Slow Flowers members and wedding and event designers Adam Rico and Alicia Rico of Dallas-based Bows and Arrows Flowers. Learn about the first Say Their Names Memorial in Portland, Oregon, installed on Juneteenth, that's June 19th, by Joy Proctor and a group of her friends, artists, designers, and craftspeople. And it was created again in several other cities, including Dallas and Atlanta, by Bows and Arrows Flowers. This month's guests include Gina Thresher of From the Ground Up Floral and Tonnelly Gruder of Salty Acres Farm. They're among the instructors in a new virtual floral conference taking place in late August called Flurvana. You'll hear more from Gina and Tonnelly and learn how you can grab a free registration for the three-day virtual conference. I'll be speaking there too. To join the meetup, complete with giveaway prizes and lots of new connections, follow the link in today's show notes, and I'll see you Friday. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 630,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. Our final sponsor thanks goes to the Gardener's Workshop, which offers a full curriculum of online education for flower farmers and farmer florists. Online education is more important this year than ever, and you'll want to check out the course offerings at thegardenersworkshop.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.